All right, let's get to the Word. Can we open up our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4? Philippians chapter 4, we just dipped into this final chapter last Sunday. We're just going to be in three verses this morning. Um, there's still a lot here, but it, we are coming and nearing the end. Um, so, so what's ahead? Well, I put a post out this week, just kind of what the summer, the kind of spring summer is going to look like. Um, after we finish up Philippians, we're going to go into a, uh, a seven-part series on um, what's called our, our shaping virtues. A, a couple summers ago, we did a series on our shared values as a Sovereign Grace Church, some of those distinctives theologically that we um, see as important and vital to us. And when we, when we look at those, those theological pieces, particularly what the gospel does in a people, uh, the gospel creates a culture within a church. And we're going to be talking about seven virtues that we, we, not just distinctly us as a sovereign grace church, but what the gospel should create in a church, things like generosity and joy and servanthood. And so we're going to take some time through that. That'll lead us up to Easter. And uh, Scott Crook will be up here just following that Easter weekend. And, and uh, we're going to be able to visit and hear the word from him, which will be very exciting we're going to go into the Psalms through the summer, and that will hopefully set us up to go into a, an extended uh, time in the book of 1 Samuel from the Old Testament, which I'm very excited for. So that's a little bit of a heads up of where we're going, but this morning we're here in Philippians, and I'm going to just read our three verses today and then pray for us. And so the Lord has something for us today here in His Word. Let's begin. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored or strived side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Join me as we pray. Lord, thank you for, thank you for your holy, good, powerful word that we get to open up and, and hear. And we, we know these words were originally penned by inspiration of the Spirit to this church, but we know these words are, are for us today as well. Lord, you, you have something for us as a church that, that will compel us to be steadfast and remain firm in the gospel, and Lord, that would draw us into a place of working hard for our joyful unity as a community. So help us, Lord, speak to us by your Spirit for our good, Lord, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, before we, we dive in, I just want to kind of remember where we are as far as this letter going to a particular church. Remember, Paul traveled through with his gang. They preached the gospel. A church was planted here in Philippi. And this, this little church that started, remember the membership of this church, how this church was formed. God saved uh, individuals 
Um, and some of those were this woman named Lydia. She was a, a businesswoman. And then there was the, the Roman soldier that was there in prison with Paul and Silas that got converted. I like to call him Clyde. I think he was a Clyde. And then likely this demon-possessed servant girl, Jesus set free and by his power. And, uh, and then there's Clyde's wife and his household, we know, that it was there. Lydia's home, there's some people in her household. We don't know who all those people were. And we know Epaphroditus is part of this church. He's the one that came to bring a letter to Paul that's being sent back with this letter that we're reading. And then there is this, this lead-in to the book of Philippians where he, Paul addresses the the pastors and the deacons and all the church members of this church. And then we include here now these, these two women, Yodia and Syntyche. Okay, just, this is a church with church members just made up of just a variety of individuals who likely would not have connected and been together if it wasn't for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here are these two women that are listed and we'll mention a few other people here that we're going to meet, but let's start with just who are these two women. Well, we do not know really anything about these women. They, they're just listed here, which is kind of wild. And imagine this letter coming from Epaphroditus, who almost died on his journey. He finally gets to Philippi, and they're excited to meet and, or to see Epaphroditus again, and we're excited to hear from this, this planting pastor, Paul, whom they love and he loves them, and they're going to hear together now this, this letter. I don't know, maybe they're in Lydia's home. They're all gathered around, and they start reading. Somebody starts reading the letter, one of the pastors. And, uh, and they're hearing all of this, these layers of beautiful gospel goodness. And, and they're just, yes, amen, that's true. Yes, we're going to stand firm in the gospel. Another truth, amen. And then, and then they read out two women's names who are possibly in the room. Imagine that, a PowerPoint. Boop, here we go. There's Yudia Sintiki. I mean, their, their name being read out. It wasn't like they were being honored in that moment. They just, there was this problem in the midst of their name being read out. I don't know how you feel about your name being read out in public. I struggled. I still have wounds and scars from elementary school. I, well, one thing, Tregoboff is it's usually one of the last names being called in the class. And then, and then the teachers usually botch the name really bad. So it was horrible when I was a kid. I just, I just every, all the kids laugh when they heard the name. Um, so they read this, these, the names of these two women. Paul has redemptive purposes in reading, having their names listed. They, they, it, it probably was not a surprise to that congregation. This, there was a known issue and that Epaphroditus had brought to Paul that he's now responding to and listing their names. They are aware of the issue, and they know these women, and they, there's, because there's likely a conflict that is impacting the entire church community. The, these women's name means success and lucky, so it's likely they were from pagan origins and they were converted. Maybe they were among the God-fearing women down by that river that when Paul communicated with Lydia and they were converted, it, so they were possibly part of the core team of this little church plant. Maybe they were leaders, they had influence in the church body. And so, so Paul's writing at the end of this letter and addressing this issue. Notice he didn't start out with this problem. It, it is near the end because Paul has been writing and encouraging on a multitude of truths to help set them up to deal with this in a way that is fruitful 
and good. He's been making his way through this letter, and there's, really, there's two themes that we have been hitting numerous times. We'll talk about them more here, to stand firm. He wants the church to remain standing firm, walking in the gospel, fixing their eyes on Jesus, even in the midst of suffering, not to back down, and then to do that together in humility, side by side. Their unity is in view. So we come to an application of these two main things that Paul has been talking about, being together and remaining steadfast in the gospel together. So it's gospel applied. It is, this is this is IRL. I don't know if you know what that, that means. I didn't, know, I didn't know what that meant. We didn't, there was a term we didn't need growing up. Well, everything was in real life when, we were, when I was a kid. But we have to qualify that now. Did you meet with so-and-so? Oh, did you, like, in person? Like, really? Did you, did you really meet them? Did you really go to that place? Yes, I really went to that place. And I really did meet this individual. And here Paul is getting to the gospel. It is not meant to live in theological books on shelves. It is supposed to work its way out into real life, into relationships in the church. The gospel comes with its power to bear down into all things that pertain to life and godliness. And here is a real-life issue, a relationship in the church that the gospel needs to come in and bring attention to. Relationships in God's church require attention, gospel attention, hard work. Most importantly, it needs the gospel to work in and through them. So this is what we're going to see today. Those who share in Jesus together must work to protect and steward and to enjoy the good of our unity in Jesus. So he knows the importance of this relationship and its impact in this community, and he knows this is a gospel issue, and it's serious. And so we're going to look at three things reflecting on these few verses. The foundation of our unity, the hard work of our unity, and the mutual effort in our unity. So, beginning, the foundation of our unity, or what Paul would use this word, agreement. So, let's take a minute and look back where, where Paul has been going through in his letter to get us to this point right here. Paul's been saying about what they, they share in Christ together, their fellowship, and what this means to their relationship. This letter we've been talking about, this is like this letter of friendship. You just, it oozes with love and joy and care, and it's rooted in what they have in Jesus together. Chapter 1, he celebrates this gift with his friends, those he loves, to all the saints in Christ. One, chapter 1, verse 1, together they are partakers of grace. 1-7. They are partners in the gospel, meaning they're sharers. It's that word fellowship, koinonia. They're, they're, they're sharers in the gospel. This is the foundation of their unity, and everything else is springing from this. And this is maybe a text that you have memorized by now. We've repeated it almost every week, Philippians 1:27, because it is an anchor text for what Paul is saying. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's saying, when I'm there or if I'm not there, this is what I want. You to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. What we just read here in chapter 4, verse 1, they are to stand firm thus. They are citizens of heaven 
and they're to continue in the truth of the gospel together, side by side, unlike the enemies of the cross, but together, because of the gospel, verse 3, they are those among those, those who have labored or strived side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. You see Paul pulling in that same connection, striving side by side, standing firm side by side in the gospel. And then in chapter 2, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. I think it's like 10 times Paul has used this word of mind, where we think you're thinking. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So Paul, what, what, what comes through Christ in the gospel, his love, the spirit, the, the joy that I want to be filled with as you have the same mind in one accord in harmony together. This is actually the same words that we see here in our text. I entreat Iodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. It can be translated, have the same mind in the Lord in Christ. Sisters, agree. Have the same mind. This is what I've been saying throughout my letter. Be, be of the same mind, of the same love, in full accord of one mind. This isn't just intellectual agreement on a theological topic. This is, this is an agreement of your heart, of your feelings, of your emotions. Unite around what is true in Christ. Earlier in chapter 3, Paul draws a line about what their identity is based on versus what they don't agree with. What does he connect to? Verses, uh, th- uh, three, uh, verse 3 in chapter 3. We are, this is who we are. We are those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. What a like banner, right? We just get up every morning and just say, this is who we are. What are we? We are those who worship by the Spirit of God. We've been made God's people by the Spirit and we glory in Christ Jesus alone in his gospel, and we put no confidence in our flesh. We, we, we're nobodies if it wasn't for Christ, and this is our boast, only in him. This is our mutual identity. This is what connects us. This is what unites us. This is what's foundational. And Paul, he, he hammers us even more. He points to this later in verse 3. Paul and those sisters and this guy named Clement And those fellow workers are those, he says, whose names are in the book of life. This this book of life is the book which has all the names of those who are in Jesus, who are those who are saved. Paul's affirming, these women aren't lost. They're together in Jesus with me among those who are faithful and they're sharers in Christ. Jesus says in Luke, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Hebrews talks about the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. And then we see in Revelation the several references of the names in the Lamb's book of life to encourage those persecuted believers to remain faithful and to stand firm in Jesus. So what does their agreement rest in, flow from, more specifically in? Agree in Jesus. Agree in the Lord. This is what Paul is saying. It is their gospel union that is foremost and foundational. And I mean, that's, that's why what Josh has communicated, why we can pray 
in labor, in mission for, for people that are in Serbia or in Maryland or Canada or in this closed nation. This is the thing that unites. What links us up? Scott and Josh will be in a room with men that they, they, they known only because of this grace and the beauty of this. What oddball group would be pulled together? What, what, what group right here this morning we come in to sing and worship that invites us to sit maybe weekly on, at a coffee, over coffee at a table and minister the word to one another, to bring a meal for each other, to pray for each other, that we are in Christ. This is our mutual agreement, saints. Why, why is this important? We, we could easily just let this kind of glaze over uh, our, our thoughts and our hearts this morning. But this is the truth. Christians are notorious for finding peripheral things to agree on and make ultimate things and in turn divide. And Paul wants none of that. Paul not, wants none of that. And that should be for us as well. There's an old saying that goes, in essentials, unity, in not essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. It's been attributed to St. Augustine, believer, I believe it comes from a German Lutheran theologian of the, of the early 17th century, Rupertus Meldinius. That's quite a name. So in unity, the essentials, which is what Paul is calling them to, the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the Spirit, baptized into Christ, into one body, the church, agree in this. Let this unite your hearts in love. The non-essentials, liberty, right? We have liberty in areas of freedom or conscience or certain practices. Do you have a piano and guitar in worship or not? Well, there are churches that don't do that. There are differences right here among us in experiences and upbringing and education and interests and traditions, preferences and in conscience. And yet, these things are important, but they are things that are practices that can have, we can have theological differences over and yet maintain unity in the gospel of Christ. But we, we see this hammered throughout Scripture. We see that here in Philippians, we see it in Ephesians, we see it in Romans, we see it in Corinthians. Why? Because this is a Christian issue. This is a Christian issue. And none of us are immune to this issue. When Paul writes to the church in Rome, we, we see that there are these vegetarians who didn't eat meat, and others preferred to keep certain days and honor them. And those who did eat meat, and they were acting sinfully towards those who chose not to, and they were rejecting them. And Paul says really bluntly, who are you to judge? God has welcomed them. They were dividing the church, and Paul confronts their pride, and they're quarreling over such things, and draws attention to the gospel again. And this is how he brings it to a close later in chapter 15 in the letter. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The glory of God is at stake in this. Can you hear the echo here in Philippians? Let harmony flow from your love in accord with Jesus. 
in accord with what the gospel has done in you. Therefore, welcome one another. This isn't like say hi. This isn't meet and greet time. This is, this is as Christ has welcomed you into relationship, into fellowship, into koinonia, as Christ has done this for you into himself, do that as well with others. Do not hinder that. Bring them in. This is what harmonizes our love and our relationship. It is Christ. And in all things, love. In all things, charity. Love Christ. Love His Word. Hold to truth. Live a life in obedience to the truth. And yet, let those things that would be things that are liberty to disagree on, those non-essentials, let those things not lead to division, but let love shape it all. Let love shape it all. I mean, why, why, why could Paul call out these women in the middle of this letter? I mean, look at, look at chapter 4, verse 1. What, what was informing this? How could they receive this from Paul? My brothers whom I love, whom I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. These ladies knew Paul loved them. That's why he could write this. We need his love. And we need to be sure we center on the right thing. So do you, let me ask you, do you have a tendency to, to major on the minor? Do, do non-essentials cause, possibly cause ongoing conflict for you? What, what will, what, what should, what must we hold to, tight to, unify around, move towards one another, church? It is the agreement we have in Christ. It is in the gospel, and it's that what we stand firm in, and that's what we unite over. But here's the truth. This gospel union that we have, this reality, doesn't just leave us on coast, on, on autopilot, cruise control, right? We, we know that cannot happen. It takes maintenance and effort and work. Paul writes, this is our second point, the hard work of our unity. Paul writes, I entreat you. I, I urge you, agree in the Lord. He has written so much already in this letter, and he, and he intends all those truths to address something serious that was broken. I mean, this, this, this conflict was real. And they needed to, to resolve this fractured situation because of what they share in Christ. And he, here's the truth. Conflict will come in church community. So that if you've been around long enough in any kind of church, we, you, you know this. It's not a question of or if we will be tested in our relationships. It's, it's what we will do when we are tested in those relationships. Will we labor to agree in the Lord? Because it's going to take work. It takes work. So what was this conflict? Well, we don't know what the conflict was. Though it seems it was not over a serious theological quarrel or problem. Maybe it was something that was along the lines of the Judaizers thing, that one of them were caught in that, that we saw earlier in chapter 3. But, but I feel like Paul would have called it out if it was over that thing. But this doesn't make the conflict unserious. It's very serious. Because see, though the conflict, we don't know what it is, it's unknown. There's silence there. And I kind of like that. You just kind of sort of fill in the blank, right? 
fill in the blank. The issue is not lo- no longer the problem. That's really what happens. It's usually not the problem over here anymore. The relationship becomes the problem. And that's what was broken. The relationship was broken. And so it could have been over a major thing. It could have been over a minor thing. We have conflicts over major issues, but oftentimes they over, they're over small things that manifest and grow. I asked Hillary this week, tell me, like, when was the last time we had a big argument over something dumb? And, and she, she's like, you know what, when, she said, when, when have any of our arguments not been over something dumb? I was like, yeah, and we do look back, you think. But we do have brokenness, and we do have pain over serious things. And their unity, the, the, the unity of the body was at stake, and Paul knew the seriousness of that. Their relationships are at stake, and its brokenness makes the gospel witness and unity for the body then at stake. So small things can become big things, which can just turn to destructive things in the fellowship of the church. That's why this is a gospel issue. Commentator Gordon Fee simply puts it this way, at the issue in this letter is not simply some petty quarrel between two people, but the gospel in Philippi. That is what was at stake. If if that is the foundation, the gospel is the foundation, and their loving community is the fruit and the witness of the gospel, then what is at stake is the testimony of the gospel itself. And therefore, every effort needed to be made to keep that. Paul writes to the Ephesians, teaching about this this one new man God has made between Jew and Gentile through Christ, this common bond. And, And his call was for them to work at this, labor at this. He writes this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, hear the same, same plea, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Maintain it. Tend to it. You're going to have to break a sweat for this to work. Clothe yourself in humility and patience and love and gentleness, things that are yours in Christ, but maintain this unity, this bond in Jesus. You're not working for being in Christ together, but you're working to maintain what you have in Christ together. This is what Paul's urging and entreating for them to do. You see, it's not just endure one another in the Lord. Or grit your teeth with one another in the Lord. Or fake smile in the Lord. Or avoid one another in the Lord. No, it is an urging to maintain, shaped by the gospel, love that manifests through the gospel to united hearts. And this is why it was so serious. And it's why he confronts it. And why he lovingly draws attention to this Issue. It's not a sweeping under the carpet, but a call for effort to be made, hard work of reconciliation to take place for Christ's sake. Remember, this, they're in the midst of a hostile situation. There were persecutions bearing down on them. And this division could be destructive to the church and its mission and their ability to withstand the testing from the outside if they weren't healthy on the inside. Alex Motier, he says this, only a united church can hope to face its foes and stand firm. Where there is disharmony inside, 
there is bound to be defeat outside. As, as like a warning, isn't it? Sober warning. And in our day, it's easy, it's easy, I should say our day, but it was easy then as well, but it's easy for us to reject working through hard, messy, relational issues. It's not comfortable. It's hard. As I've been reflecting on this text, I thought, of, and, and I'm grateful that there are many good, faithful gospel churches around us in the Twin Cities. Meaning, I'm not, we're not alone. There's gospel preaching, discipleship going on. Yet, if we just think and contemplate for a moment for the Philippians then, they were the only church, not only on the block, but in the country, the region. This, this was their people. They, they couldn't drive across town to another church if things got funky or were challenging. No, they had to work through it. They had to process through that hard thing. And there is something about knowing that that pushes you in. You, you realize we got to fight for this, that we don't have an option. This is our, this is our, our church, this is our people, and, and we have all that we need in the gospel to work through this. And there's something powerful that's gained by going through that hard, laborious, difficult, messy thing working for unity in Christ, that on the other side, working through love and forgiveness, there is, there is a stronger thing on the other side. There is, there is greater joy on the other side. If you have your Bibles open, there are, you can scroll up. We won't get into verses 4 through 7, but, but note the context that follows just after this, this plea. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, immediately after what happens. And he talks about anxiety just following that as well. What happens when there is relational trouble in church community? We, we are prone to anxious hearts. And he reminds them, he reminds them, the Lord is at hand in this situation. The Lord is near you. He is with us. Pray, give thanks, look to him, work it out. Joy is on the other side. That is a promise for us. And because it's serious, and its impact will, will deal, and, and its impact will happen and find its way in the rhythms of our daily and weekly worship. This call is to be vigilant and to be swift and to do the hard thing. Remember Jesus' teaching in Matthew about anger that, that unfolds in action, not in just murder, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a heart problem. And it should be addressed with as much concern and seriousness as anger that would flesh out in murder. But the bitterness or the, the offense that is in our hearts, we need to deal with it quickly. Matthew 5, Jesus says this, if you, are an off, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Meaning, don't wait till they come to you, right? If you know, then go. I hear Paul telling these two in, you, you, you don't wait on each other. You, you have mutual responsibility in this. Move towards one another in the power of the gospel. Don't let your worship and the joyful unity of the body to be harmed. Final observation. Because it is the body, the church community, it is not an isolated deal. 
there is mutual effort in our unity. Paul urges these two women to agree and reconcile in it is their responsibility, and yet he also calls upon helpers. Look at verse 3. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. The, the Greek word there could be translated yoke fellow, like yoke fellow, true yoke fellow. Who was Paul addressing here? Well, scholars don't really know who this was. It, it could be a man's name, the Greek word sizagus, loyal sizagus, though there is no name found in Greco-Roman time with a guy named, named that. That's probably not the option, but it's possibly an elder there. Maybe it's a pastor there at the church in Philippi, but somebody who was trusted, who was charactered, who knew the word, who loved these women, who could enter in and help them. Other translations, maybe you're, that you're reading, write, my true partner. So theologians would, would note it's very possible that Paul uses this term to address and relate to the whole church community. My, my, my yoke fellow, my, my true partners. Remember, Philippian church is being addressed as partners in the gospel several times already. So it's likely he's calling the church community as a whole. Paul, Paul is saying, church, my true partner in the gospel, come alongside these women. Your mutual help is needed to serve them. So it's a mystery, but this is what we can affirm. They need help outside of them. And Paul is calling upon the church community to engage and serve them in this broken relationship. Come alongside them. Be part of the solution. This is not just an isolated deal between two women, but mutual care responsibility involves the body. And this is, and this is so vital. It's, it's here we see, just lived out this image, the metaphor of the church as a body in Scripture. Every joint working, supplying each member is like the body, necessary functioning for its health. And in relational conflict, we can't always work through it alone, and we need help in our peacemaking. Sometimes things are really bad, and the hurt and pain is too difficult, or the blinding work of, of, of sin doesn't let us see, and we get stuck we get stuck in those situations, and neither party can see clearly, so we need intervention. We need, we need a third party to come in and help, help mediate, help speak to what is going on, and help us to move towards Christ together. I've been really helped by a man named Ken Sandy. He's got a book called Peacemaker. I would commend it to you. And he, he speaks in his, his teaching of this, this slippery slope of conflict, he, and he illustrates it the way this we respond, the slippery slope, if it's not dealt with properly, we fall into these danger zones of either peace breaking, which at its far end would lead to murder, or peace faking, where our avoidance leads so far away into escape that it could end on a whole nother uh, scale. But in the middle of that is a goal of peacemaking. We, we're seeking to work it out. And sometimes we, the working out can't just happen between two people. We need help. What does that mean? It means we invite others in to help us see. We invite other brothers or sisters. We invite a pastor in so that we can move towards peace. As James 3 says, the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is what we want. This is what God's church needs. 
and is noted already, what will enable us to move towards one another and welcome help? Love in Christ. Paul's heart, God's heart, whom I love, who I long for, my joy, my crown, my beloved. Paul didn't just wield his apostolic authority. He came to them, pleading with them out of a heart of love to see them restored. And when we know someone is for us and loves us, we can bear and receive hard things. And we invite people in to help us in those hard things. And Paul had investment in his care and love for them. That's why he could write this way. And that's why he had faith for them that they could work through it. And that is why we need Christ-informed, spirit-enabled love to empower us to this mutual task. It is only through the power of Christ that we can forgive as we would need to when we're wrong, to confess when we need to, to heal when we need it. So these women labored, strove side by side in the gospel with Paul and with this other worker. We see this man named Clement, another guy. We don't know who he was. Was he an elder there? Was he, he was possibly a pastor there? The church knew him. That's why he referenced his name. And we explored the thought that, that maybe there was contention among the church and Paul's authority or other leaders in the church. So Paul maybe is affirming, validating this man, the Clement's ministry. Either way, I see Paul linking all of these leaders and the community saying, saying this, you are yoked up together in the gospel. And you need everyone, one another, to make this peacemaking witness happen, like oxen plowing, linked together. If one goes down, we're all going to suffer. We need, we need Jesus. And we share in Christ together. Because we share in Christ together, therefore, why would I not assume, why would we not all assume responsibility for this unity, for love, for forgiveness, to work and labor and to attend to the good of our unity. This, this letter has been lifting our hearts to the glory of Jesus. His humble, cross-bearing life, self-denying for the joy of others, to inform our humility, our laying preferences down, overlooking offenses out of love, growing an ability to forgive and to confess, and realizing that our conflict must work through that because there is a future thing ahead of us as well. I love the way Paul so wisely, helpfully draws attention to this, this book of life. All of their names written in the book of life, flowing from what he just said about us waiting a Savior, citizens of heaven. He's returning for you, but guess what? He's returning for all of us. This future union with Christ in his kingdom motivates us today and shows us the preciousness of that unity the cost of Christ's shed blood poured out for us to go to be with him side by side then as it is a goal now. In my family history, which I don't know a ton about, I do know that my great-grandparents, my dad's side, immigrated what was from then a Russian-controlled province. Alexander Tregoboff married Julie Balov, and they immigrated in 1906. They were like 18 and 19 years old. Through Ellis Island, eventually to L.A., they eventually ended up in Arizona in a farming community. And they were among a group of Russians, approximately 3,500, fleeing the country. And they were, they were, this group was called the Mullicans. 
Um, and they were a Christian sect that broke away from Eastern Orthodox, uh, Eastern or- Orthodoxy due to a rejection of the Russian Orthodox Church, things that they would, they would you know, venerate saints or the icons or what was uh, an amounting of 200 days of fasting that the church would impose. Um, and one of those fasts was you couldn't drink milk. Mullikins actually means dairy drinker, milk drinkers, because they, they rejected it. They said, we're going to drink milk. We're not going to fast milk. And they were persecuted for that along with rejecting the teachings of the church. They were regarded as heretics, so they fled some in persecution. Some fascinating history. Um, but I, I looked up online some of this immigration details. Trigoboff, I could find my name in and among those also recorded, written down, who immigrated through either Ellis Island or some through Canada. Names like Silvkov, Mechkov, Treglasov, Nikokov, Shubin, which is my mother's, or my, um, the maiden name of my, on my grandmother's side. Uh, notice all the V's, like my last name actually probably ended in a V, not two F's. Tregobov. But it was fascinating to see my name in among these others. Like, like these, these were my, my people, even though I don't really know them. These were my people, and I am here in America because they entered into this amazing country. Citizens that they became, and because of them, I, I am now this American guy who lives in Chaska, and uh, I don't think about this every day. I don't think about that connection every day. It's so disconnected. I, I neglect to forget about it. And, and I see Paul here pulling in and rec- helping them reckon with this amazing reality that they should think daily on in who they are connected to. Our names written in the book of life together with others. Yours, mine, ours. This is our people. Regardless of where we're from, our age, our ethnicity, traditions, we are united in Jesus. I I hear Paul saying, Yodia, Syntyche, don't forget, realize what the gospel has done for you. That person next to you in your church community, their name is written right next to yours. They are your family. They're bought by the blood too. And in Christ, you're together. And we're going to enter a promised land because we have a heavenly citizenship together. And Jesus is going to come back for his people. That's why this matters. That's why this matters. It's really important. Steward it. Tend to it. Work and labor for it because Jesus has united us. And his grace is sufficient and his power is sufficient enough to enable us to walk this out in love and unity. And it gives him much glory when we do. So the question for us all, do do we have, do you have any relationships that need attention? Is Is there a disagreement? Is there avoidance? Is there offense? Is there unforgiveness? Are you, on, are you on that slippery slope where there's danger on either side? Where there's attack or denial? Or are, are you stuck? Are you stuck and do you need help? I, th- I think Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 comes to us all and says, we've got to ask those questions of our hearts because it's, it's important. It is vital. The gospel is 
at stake in that. The unity of God's church is at stake in that. The glory of God in and through the love of his people is at stake in that. And the Lord urges us. He comes to us through these words and entreats us, don't leave it unattended. Conflict is serious. Strange relationships left unattended is dangerous for the gospel in God's community. It's dangerous for the community of God. So let us, let us hear the entreating of the Spirit towards the gospel to find help by his presence. Let us see the beauty of Christ and what he has done for us to share in Jesus together. And in that, we'd want to protect and steward the good of that unity we have. Because this is, this, is this is the crux. Our Savior, Jesus, took the greatest conflict, the greatest disagreement, the greatest broken relationship, and that is us sinners separated from a holy God And Jesus came down and he made a way. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. He considered others more significant than himself. And he took all of our offenses upon himself in the cross. He took all of that and our debt so that that debt could be let go. So that we could be welcomed into his loving presence. United with him. Made one with him. And that reconciliation, that gift of his grace is what we look to to empower us to do that with one another, to forgive, to forbear, to enjoy the agreement of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us do that. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the reconciling gift that has come through your Son, Jesus, so that we who were once afar off, not a people, have become your people by your Spirit by the work of your cross, by the work of your gospel. And we've been brought in. And we have peace with our God and Savior. Lord, would you help us, because of that peace that we have, to be peacemakers? That doesn't mean avoiding conflict. That doesn't mean denying conflict. Lord, but it does mean that we work through it with the good of your gospel. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to to do that on our own, personally, with those around us. Help us, Lord, to be a church where we move and we help others to do that as well. Lord, help us to celebrate the, the uniting foundational gift, the main thing that comes through your Son, Jesus. And that would help us do the hard work that we need to do. Thank you for your love, Lord. I ask for more of your love, the, the love that is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Would you pour more of your love in our hearts so that we could, we could be a church community in ongoing ways that would testify of your grace. We need your help. We ask for your, your glory, Lord, for our joy. Amen.